The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. basketball y'all i just (laughs) i love basketball y'all what's up welcome to another episode of round ball ramble i am your host corbin ford you can follow me on twitter at corbin mba this is a sports ethos presentation like the beginning says so check out sports ethos on twitter at sports ethos online sportsethos.com definitely simple there to get on board with that y'all just love basketball Another great night of hoops. We saw two really good games for different reasons. Boston Celtics just taking apart the Milwaukee Bucks like a puzzle set. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we got to start. We got to start with, with with just whooping that trick. I'm just kidding. I've only heard the song once and only in passing. Um, Memphis tradition and, and wins, I suppose. But John Morant, y'all, like he whooped he whooped the the Warriors. That's for sure. Uh, he whooped on some folks. He whooped on their perimeter players. He whooped on Jordan Poole for one memorable stretch in the fourth quarter. Um, John Morant did the dang thing, and that's all there is to it. The Grizzlies won 106-101 to over the Golden State Warriors to tie the series up at one apiece, heading back to the Oracle, and John Morant was the reason why. Plain and simple. Monstrous 47 points. Like... 47 big ones. And mind you, Memphis needed every single one. But that's not all he did. He also came in with 8 rebounds, 8 assists, only 3 turnovers, and he shot efficiently. 15 of 31 from the field, just shy of 50%. And that's not all he did. He also knocked down 5 threes on 12 attempts, which is 41%. I'm saying this because you have a guy like Ja, who is a career 33% three-point shooter, definitely not his forte, but he's been getting these open shots because Golden State's been conceding these outside jumpers, and he's knocking them down with confidence, and that's just helping him uh, take such a high volume. I'm impressed. John Morant, he did it all. I mean, he had 18 points in the fourth quarter alone. Like I said, in, in a time when Golden State had retaken the lead, which they hadn't had all game, they got it for a brief moment in the third quarter. They took it in the fourth, and John Morant, after getting poked in the eye, I might add, or in the midst of that, was like, nah, we ain't gonna go for that. He joins LeBron James and Kobe Bryant as the only players with multiple 45-point games before turning 23. I repeat, Kobe, LeBron, and Ja, the only guys to have 45-plus points before turning 23. That is insane. Uh, How you wanted, he gave it to you. Uh, You know, whether it was, you know, putting the floater on an Andrew Wiggins who was actually playing defense, playing for the floater, well, it was putting... Jordan Poole in the spin cycle, making him to the electric slide, the cha-cha slide, the hokey-pokey, I don't even know what you want to call it, the Macarena. He had Jordan Poole just hopeless on the defensive end when he had to guard him. He's able to get in into the chest of Draymond Green and make shots even with Green's presence there. He was able to get past Klay Thompson. Like, how you wanted it, John Morant gave it to you. Memphis style. It was exciting to see 12 or 13 from the free throw line as well. A monstrous performance for the young Grizzly. I'm telling you, I did not know 
that he was under 23. I'm like, oh, the dude's like 23 or so. Nah, like, NBA's in great hands, y'all. This is, this was like one of those memorable classic games that you look back on um, for a great player like John Moran. Also, further proving my point that he should not have been most improved player. Yeah, in a good way, because he's obviously so much better, but also just in a way, because he should not have been most improved player. Like, this guy is a star. He's a stud, and yeah, he improved, but jeez Louise, I mean, this is, this is wild. Um, he led the Grizzlies far and away. You did have 14 points from Zaire Williams, who knocked down some big threes in the third quarter, especially. Um, you had Jaron Jackson Jr., who, you know, 12.7 boards, still fouled out. He's always fouled out of game. It's not a good Grizzly game unless Jaron Jackson Jr. fouls out of it. He also didn't shoot quite as well as game one, uh, three of 14 from the field, two of seven from three, so not super great there. One guy who we got to talk about here, because he played two minutes and 52 seconds, and you probably won't see him for another game after this one, and that is Dylan Brooks. Not even three minutes into the game. The Warriors find Gary Payton II going for a, a breakaway slam. Not quite a breakaway slam. Dylan Brooks was somewhere in the area. John Morant had stabbed at the ball, but, you know, Gary Payton's momentum was still strong enough that he was able to continue to elevate. And then Dylan Brooks just kind of came recklessly. I would also say dirty. And I guess you could say he was making a play for the ball in the sense that his arm was somewhere in the vicinity of Gary Payton. Gary Payton's head and the ball going for a dunk, but he just took out the entire back of Payton's head. Payton went down on his hand, on his elbow, tried to play through it, could not do that, and was out for the rest of the game. And as it turns out, will be out for a significantly larger portion of maybe this series, maybe this season, as an MRI confirmed that Gary Payton II fractured his elbow. Just a horrible play. Uh, for Dylan Brooks' part, he was immediately uh, assessed to flagrant two and ejected, but you can't be doing that, man. I'm not going to go on my soapbox. I guess I am here. But I'm not going to do it for a long time and be like, oh, you know, it's in hurting the entirety of the game. Like, the Warriors have Draymond Green. It's, it's shades of Greg Popovich rallying in Zaza Pachulia for when he put his uh, foot under Kawhi Leonard's ankle as Kawhi was shooting the ball, knocking Kawhi out the series. Like, there's only so much coach, there's only so much a coach can say when you employ a player that is also known for suspect at best, dirty at the absolute worst place. When Greg Popovich was rallying against Zaza Pachulia, it's a dirty play, this and that. Like, both things can be true. Yes, it is a dirty play. And yes, also, um, in Greg Popovich's case, you're the same one who employed Bruce Bowen as the hatchet man for the Spurs championship runs in the early to mid-2000s. So, there's only so much you can say. You know what I mean? Uh, With Coach Kerr at the end of this game, he did say it's a dirty play. He crossed the line, he broke the code. Like, this is the strongest you've heard... Coach Kerr speak out against another player directly in that fashion. At the same time, did you just see what Draymond Green did to Brandon Clark in Game 1? Have you not seen what Draymond Green has made a history of doing in terms of suspect, reckless, whatever category you want to put these plays in, over his playoff career? Like, there's only so much arguing you can do. There's only so much that you can say without looking in the mirror. So, I just want to call that whole thing out. I really don't like when coaches of suspect players get on their soapbox when now, you know, the turns have tabled, if that makes any sense. But that being said, that was a horrible play for Dylan Brooks. I didn't understand it at all. Um, I hope he's suspended for a game or two, not only because of what the ramifications are for the Golden State Warriors, who now have to figure out how to stop a red-hot Morant with an all-of-a-sudden uh, overwhelmed and undermatched defensive um, personnel. 
because now, you know, without Gary Payton, you're looking at hoping, as Steve Kerr said, that uh, Andre Godala, the up that's 38-year-old Andre Godala, returns soon. Um, I can imagine Clay Thompson will get more run. Maybe Jonathan Kamingo will be free more. He played 14 minutes in this game. Like, how are the Golden State Warriors going to defend Ja? It's going to be by committee. You know, Draymond Green already has enough defensive assignments, and also, that's not a one-on-one matchup just like that. But also, like, and Coach Kerr did an amazing job pointing this out. Gary Payton Jr. has been floating around the league for years. Trying to latch on. I remember, you know, trying to latch on with the Lakers. Trying to latch on with the Wizards. Trying to find a squad. The Rockets, if I remember. Not being able to really carve out his role in the league. Finally finds that with these Golden State Warriors. And remember, he had to beat out Avery Bradley for the last man in this roster this year. Finally gets that. Plays well. Didn't do a thing wrong. Except go for a dunk and get recklessly fouled. It just sucks for the young man. I mean, he's actually 30, but you know what I'm saying. Like, my heart goes out to that guy. Because his season, I'm not really sure of the, the timetable for a fractured elbow. I'm sure Twitter will let me know pretty soon when I go back and check. But, like, that's not great. You know? Anyways, uh, going back to things that weren't great, the Golden State Warriors as a whole, they were not great. Steph Curry had 27 points to lead the way, but he also had 25 shots to take to get there. 3 of 11 from 3, not great for him. Uh, Klay Thompson had a bad game. And with Klay Thompson, especially in his return from injury, when he has a bad game, like, it's a bad game. Klay Thompson had 12 points on 19 shots, 5 of 19 from the field, 12 threes attempted, 2 of them made. That's 16%, if you really get a math, or have NBA uh, scoreboard out like I do. Two rebounds, three assists, not a whole lot there. Andrew Wiggins had a monstrous dunk on Brandon Clark, played some adequate defense throughout the night, was able to get in there and rebound, had nine rebounds and had 16 points as well. But, you know, toward the end, he was one of the many who were lit up by John in the fourth quarter, and he did miss a bunch of open threes. He was one of seven from there. Draymond Green, defensively maestro, offensively seven assists, you know what you're getting, 10 boards, he didn't give you a lot of points. I'm not expecting that. Six rebounds, or six points. And this was after getting poked in the eye um, early in the game and, and having to play through a swollen left eye. So that was big. Jordan Poole off the bench, 20 points, five assists. Offensively played well. I mean, you could pick Nitz a little bit, one of six from three, but he did the thing. What he didn't do was play very good defense. He was lit up. I mean, he was one of the, the, the main ones. It was like three minutes left in the fourth quarter. And John Morant just put the hezzy put the twist, and Poole, like, spun, and, like, as he spun, he didn't even see the second combo move that Ja did before he, like, uh, to the floor. Yeah, that, if, uh, was a move, that's, that's what Jordan Poole did. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, he just kind of, like, twirled like a butterfly and fell. It was hilarious and also horrifying to see in real time, but that happened. Um, Jonathan Kaminga, nine points, five rebounds. 3 of 7 from the field I, in 14 minutes, I would give uh, Jonathan Kaminga some more run. I think he's someone that is, he get an extra dose of athleticism, extra dose of size. See what he does on John. Maybe it's a different look. You have a, a minute or two of that, but not a whole lot. Like, see what he brings you from that perspective. Someone who can, you know, fill the lanes on the fast break. You're not expecting to be a shooter, but a guy who can come out there and maybe sort of, kind of, not really, but replicate that Gary Payton in the second role in terms of being a slasher and a defensive guy who can park in the corner you know, and just be opportunistic in terms of rebounding, that would be a nice kind of guy, you know, and maybe that means free Juan Toscano Anderson, because defensively, I think he'd be a nice piece as well, um, but if you look at it, I mean, this Warriors team went 7 of 38 from 3, their starting backcourt shot horrifically, uh, like, horrifically, like, 16 of 44 from the field, and 5 of 23 from 3, 
for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Didn't get a whole lot from Andrew Wiggins. And they still almost won the game. It took a career playoff high of 47 from John Morant to to make this a five-point Grizzly win. Like, you're kind of in good space if you're Golden State. I meant to say good straight. You're kind of in, in a good area. I think emotionally you're coming back off of, okay, listen, like, we had a devastating injury to one of our core members in, in Gary Payton. But looking at how... You can bounce back in the Oracle, especially, you know, seeing these young Grizzlies start mouthing and, you know, John Morant saying to Steph before leaving, hey, it's going to be a fun series. Like, I could see Golden State coming back and clapping Memphis back in Game 3 on Saturday. Either way, what I can say 100% for sure is this is an amazingly fun series, and I'm so, so hyped to be taking all this in. I cannot wait for Game 3. Before I get into the Celtics versus the Bucks, I do want to highlight one award that was announced last night. The 2021-22 Sixth Man of the Year goes to Tyler Hero. Uh, I already think the reward is just the top-scoring guy off the bench. But you know what? Tyler Hero actually was really, really good this season. He's the first player in Miami Heat franchise history to earn Sixth Man of the Year honors. He had 20.8 points off the bench, which led the entire NBA. He had 32 games with 20-plus points, which is, again, a Heat franchise record for a reserve. And he also made a personal career-high 175 threes. Um, and something aside from that, I will give credit where credit is due. I think that defensively, he still had much to improve on. He still has much to improve on, rather. And will do that. But offensively, his shot-making playing within the flow of that, not always being a gunner, sometimes being a guy who could set up others in the heat system, um, being another play uh, initiator and facilitator, I think is important as well. And he definitely grew in that department. You already knew he'd come in and fill it up. I think he did that in a more defined role that was the best for him and for Miami at large. Let's take a moment to talk Boston-Milwaukee. And wow, what a game. Uh, Boston just absolutely went off, whooping the Milwaukee Bucks like a trick. Get it? 109 to 86. Um, the Celtics were led by Jalen Brown, who went off. He had 30 points, 25 of them in the first half. And the Celtics as a whole, in game one, the Bucks forced them to be more of a jump shooting team, more so than before. They had just 10 two point field goals for the entire game which was tied for the fewest since 2017 with the Houston Rockets, and a lot of their shots were threes, and a lot of those were misses. But the difference is, for game two, the same shots that Boston bricked and missed and missed and bricked all of game one, they knocked down with just frightening efficiency in game two. Boston finished 20 of 43 for me on the arc. 20 of 43. That's pretty darn good. Uh, and it wasn't just one guy knocking down the three. Um, it was a love being spread by all. You had Jalen Brown with six threes made. You had Grant Williams with six threes made. Jason Tatum had five. Peyton Pritchard had two. Like, a lot of guys got in the action. The only guy tried, Derek White, man. Derek White playing for the injured, or starting, rather, for the injured Marcus Smart. He tried to get on the action from three. He missed every one that he took, he took four. So, not super great there, but... A balanced team effort from Boston. 30 for Jalen Brown, who was just electric in the first quarter, really put a lot of the game on his back in terms of leading the Celtics. He had a nasty, I repeat, nasty move over um, Grayson Allen, sent him to the floor. I saw on Twitter someone said Grayson Fallon, which I guess I'll allow. Um, He also had a nice little step-back jump over Giannis. The guy was in his bag. 
early. And, you know, even though he fell off in the second half, he was consistent throughout for the most part. 11-18 from the field, 5 rebounds and 6 assists as well. Jason Tatum, 29 points, 8 assists. I don't know when he became this just ultimate scorer slash initiating, playmaking jumbo forward, but, like, we're seeing it, and it's looking really, really good. This guy... Let's save the best player in the world conversation for later. But so far, so good for Tatum. But it wasn't just him. You had 21 points from Grant Williams. Those six threes really did some damage. You had 11 points for Al Horford. 10 points for Time Lord, Robert Williams. Those guys all came together to lead Boston. Shooting, again, 46% from three, 47% overall. And especially in that first half, they played a really great brand of basketball. Passing the rock around, finding the open man, manufacturing good shots to better shots, and better shots to those wide open, like, put your fingers to the sky to feel where the air is before launching a three. Or finishing around the rim. Uh, Giannis, for his part, and the Bucks, yikes. Like, obviously the final score indicates that they just got straight up whopped. But in the first quarter, it was even worse for Giannis. He started off... One for seven the first quarter. Midway through the first half, he was one for ten. Now, from the free throw line early, he was two for two. He actually fell off since then. He went one for five um, pretty much the rest of the way from the free throw line. But he did shape up around the rim. Uh, finishing nine of 17 for the rest of the game for 21 points. He would finish with 28 points on 11 of 27, shooting not great. Nine rebounds and seven assists. And credit, absolute credit to the Celtics where credit is due because they came in, they formed a freaking wall time and time again. And they did it without having to resort to a double team, which enabled the Celtics to still fly around on their primary uh, perimeter assignments and close out, making shots harder for the Bucks shooters. Uh, Al Horford did an admirable job. Grant Williams did a great job. Peyton Pritchard had moments where he was able to absorb uh, Giannis's, uh like full force and take it to the chest. These guys really made Giannis throw up some absolute crap off the wall for like the first like nine to ten minutes of the game before he adjusted and then became the Giannis that we all expect. But really great defense from Boston. I was really worried to see how they would adjust playing, you know, the type of game that Kevin Durant plays and the defense they played there, um, being more physical than a guy who, you know, isn't necessarily used to that relentless physicality compared to a guy like Giannis who thrives off of it and will dish some of that back. And Boston did an amazing job of adjusting for that, countering that, and, and really making um, Giannis feel them. Like I said, Giannis' shots, for the most part, were not perimeter-oriented. He was trying to get to the basket, he was trying to get there hard, and the Celtics said no. <laughs> and it was an unstoppable force versus an immovable object. And guess what? The immovable object, uh, they won game two last night. Uh, another guy who tried to soak up some of the additional offensive usage and scoring was Drew Holiday. Uh, didn't do a super great job at it, particularly from three. His outside shot was not going. Just one of six from there. Seven of 20 overall, but he had 19 points and seven assists. Then there was uh, Bobby, uh, well, Bobby Portis and Pat Conton at 13 points apiece. And that was it for the Bucks, really. Um, Brooke Lopez battled foul trouble all night. Only had 2.6 rebounds. Uh, Wes Matthews, listen, he's not really there for scoring, which is great because he didn't give it to you. But he did give good defense throughout um, as best he could. I mean, let's face it. If Giannis isn't really setting the tone and you're not getting a good game from Drew Holiday, without Chris Middleton, the Bucks are a little bit bereft offensively. And they need, you know, Grayson Allen, who had just five points to step up. He was big in game one, disappeared in game two. You know, Brooke Lopez again, nothing. 
You had Giannis inefficient. You had Portis try. Pat Connaughton off the bench. And then Drew Holiday. So, still credit where credit is due for Boston. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun series. I did not know, again, Boston being one of the best defensive teams in the league this year. But I was wondering how they would respond to Game 1 from the offensive end and how they would continue to stand up um, and make adjustments to Giannis on the defensive end. And so I just, this is um, this was really encouraging, and I'm hyped to see going back to Milwaukee on Saturday uh, how the Celtics come out and also how the Bucks respond for Game 3. Um, as far as the injury I mentioned to Marcus Smart, um, it was a hamstring Injury, speaking of that, Jason, um, Jalen Brown's also dealing with a little bit of an injury there, still playing through it, but uh, Celtics coach Ima Udoka said that he experienced some swelling, some pain, and some restricted movement over the past two days, but the expectation is for him to be ready in time for Game 3. Uh, quote, with three days off, we're assuming he'll be okay. That is really good news for the Celtics, although they played amazingly without him. Um, but yeah, what a game. Like I said, last night was a lot of fun. A quarter of the night, by the way. So, Boston, again, game one, they really struggled to manufacture any offense outside of long jumpers, right? Game two, a little bit different. They were able to get to the three-point line, of course, but they attacked the rim. Uh, they got outscored in the paint by a massive margin to uh, the Bucks, but they were still able to get there and do some damage as well. And Coach Udoka said this at the end. It's not Will Chamberlain down there in the paint. <laughs> we can get downhill and attack. And, like, part of that's a no-duh moment, but also part of that's kind of funny. He's like, hey, like, what are we really worried about? Like, we're not going into prime Wilt Chamberlain, prime Bob Lanier. Um, these guys are not there. They're not walking through that door, you know? Kevin McHale and, and Robert Parrish aren't walking through that door. We can take care of them. Also, it's ironic those guys are Celtics. But, yeah, that was funny to me. I, I had a chuckle for sure. All right, as far as tonight, two games, both on TNT. East Coast time, 7.30, you have Miami and Philadelphia. Not too optimistic Philadelphia, unless Joel Embiid is walking through that door, which I doubt. You have to hope that you have another monster night from Tobias Harris. They have to be hope that James Harden can shape back into the James Harden of, I don't know, any year before this year and really um, be able to lead Philadelphia, which is going to be hard because not only does he look way more passive, in my own estimation, but also P.J. Tucker has done an amazing job of just taking him out of the game, playing the type of face-guarding, man-to-man defense that he gave to Kevin Durant. And the problem is Kevin Durant was, was really, really good last year, and James Harden's already been just kind of decent this year, so the drop-off is kind of real. That's that's my own thoughts on that. So we'll see if Harden can dig deep in his bag and if another 76er can step up and kind of give the performance they're going to need to stay with this Miami Heat squad. Because right now offensively they don't have the firepower and Miami listen I don't look at them as an offensive juggernaut but they have six men of the year Tyler Hero Jimmy Butler is going to shoot better than five for 16 Bam Adebayo was a problem already uh you know Doc Rivers seems intent on starting DeAndre Jordan for reasons can't really tell you so it's not like the 76ers are battling on even playing field they're already in an uphill battle and I just don't know if they win tonight but we shall see also Dallas plays Phoenix this is at 10 o'clock, and honestly, I feel the exact same way. Luka had 45 points, massive performance, but no other Maverick stepped up, really, aside from Maxi Klebu at 19 points and knocked down six threes. You would need to hope for more of that from Maxi, who, 
you know, it's not that type of shooter. He's had some really uh, solid performances these playoffs, but hope for that as well as for Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie to, to step up more. It's funny, I was talking with Lawrence Brooks on the Sports Ethos Math Show, and I said, listen, um, why not bring out Trey Burke if you're Dallas? You're not going to play a defensive squad that is going to be capable of shutting down Phoenix. I, that's not going to happen. They have too many elite weapons at the point of attack in terms of Chris Paul, uh, Devin Booker as well, and even guys like Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder on the wing, to say nothing of DeAndre Ayton, who has shown that he can be an absolute beast in these playoffs. So just outscore them. Do your best to do that. At least you have a better chance of that between Luka, you know, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Maxi Kleba, and Dorian Finney-Smith. That's a small ball five lineup that can at least space the floor to its absolute limits um, for Phoenix, and then hopefully you can take advantages off of that with your guards. And then bring in Trey Burke. In theory, Trey Burke is the one guy off the bench, I guess you could say Theo Pinson, but who can create his own shot for himself and others, and I'm saying just out of nothing, like from scratch shot making. Uh, we haven't seen that in about two years, but he's on that roster for a reason, right? Um, dust him off, let's see if he's still got some uh, some shots left in him, and, and try to take advantage of that. That's what I'm saying. Dallas has been a very, very good defensive unit this season as well, but Phoenix, man, it's a whole nother level. They didn't win 64 games for nothing, and they're not the Utah Jazz on either end of the floor. Um, so it's going to be an uphill battle for Dallas. I just look at this as, uh, this is Dallas's uh, Los Angeles Clippers from 2020 and 2021. That's what it is. There's a, a much better team with legit weapons up and down the roster. Luka's going to go off, and I'm sure some of the other Mavericks are going to have their moments. But at the end of the day, you need to have a game where everyone is on fire all at once for them to stand a chance. And I don't know if I see that at least for game two. So I have both teams holding serve at home uh, and looking to the weekend with both the 76ers and the Mavericks staring 2-0 down in the face. But we shall see about that. That's why we, they play the games, right? And that's why we watch them. I love it. I know y'all do too. This was one of those nights, y'all. You just love basketball. You just do. Uh, also, before we let you go, birthday time. Happy birthday to Victor Oladipo, who is 30. What a career this young man has had. This guy is a 10-year pro. Three years in Orlando. Four in Indiana. And then one apiece in OKC, Houston, and Miami. This is a guy who, over his career, has career averages of 17 points per game, four and a half rebounds, and just under four assists. Um, really showing he was that kind of do-it-all guard, especially with his years in Indiana uh, from the 2017-2018 season until about the 2019-2020 season. But he also had a couple of good years in Orlando, a solid year in OKC before that. Um, and since he's had injuries, it's been a kind of bounce back for him. He's trying to have... Uh, kind of had a road of trying to get back to some of that flash that we saw before. But already, I mean, you don't think about this. He led the league in steals in 2018, two-time All-Star, 2018 All-NBA, 2018 All-Defensive Team, uh, 2018 Most Improved Player, and 2014 All-Rookie. So he's already stacked up quite a list of accolades uh, for a guy who hasn't really been the same type of player over the last two or three years or so. And even said to Sham Sharania, um just uh, uh, this past week that 11 months ago, he couldn't even walk or bend his leg. So to be able to run up and down the floor and perform in the game I love is a blessing in itself, end quote. And, you know, you hope that the guy is able to find his way again. And, and when I say find his way, he's already a serviceable NBA player. I just mean getting back to being Victor Oladipo, if that is possible. Uh, you know, uh, last series, he actually scored 23 points on 8-16 shooting. 
in game five, drawing the start for uh, Jimmy Butler in a closeout game. So, you know, there is some trust in that organization from Miami Heat for Oladipo, and maybe we could see it again. I'm hopeful, you know. I don't know, but I am hopeful. So we'll kind of see where he goes from here. He is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Um, So let's hope. But right now, forget all of that. Just happy birthday to Victor Oladipo. Oladipo! Alright, that'll do it here for us at Round Ball Ramble. Uh, thank y'all for rocking with me yet again today. I do appreciate y'all. Listen, make sure to check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Really would appreciate it there. Also, listen, there's no such thing as a fantasy offseason, y'all. It's only the pre-draft season. So, here at Sports Ethos, it's already begun. Our expert analysis are crunching out important lessons, learned, and draft analysis on incoming rookies so that you can get a jump on your prep. And we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're part of our premium member team. Head to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, cook yourself one extra lunch per month. That's it, because only $5.99. We'll see you there. And while we see you there, I will see y'all tomorrow because I am Frosty Y'all stay frosty, and let's just make it a kicking Wednesday, y'all. Kicking Wednesday. We'll talk tomorrow. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.